0: New Year, Faith Family at the Landing. I have many aims for this message. It's the beginning of prayer week, so my aim is to show you from a wonderful psalm out of God's Word how to pray during prayer week 2023. But it's also an end of one year, beginning of another year, so it's time for vision. It's a vision message that should Set us to praying and set us to dreaming and set us to planning and giving for the vision of where will 2023 take us as a church and beyond. Beyond that, I have hopes and dreams for this message that it will minister to individuals among us where you're hurting, where where your souls are weary, where you're under attack or where you've experienced loss. I have great desires and aims from the Lord that that would be the effect of Psalm 90 And this message on you today. And God may have a thousand or ten thousand more aims and purposes in this message than the ones I've just laid out for you. But I can't achieve those anything good, eternal, valuable, and helpful apart from the power of God. So I feel the need to cry out to God just for one more moment as I ask him for the ability to focus our attention right here on Psalm 90 and see what's here, and in doing that, watch how he achieves all those goals and so much more. Pray with me, would you? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, in Christ's precious name we come, by the power of your Holy Spirit, asking you to open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us from Psalm 90 glorious truths about who you are and what it's like to come to you when we're so broken and when we represent others around us who are also broken and when we come in the setting of a world that is just like Spurgeon through Tom's quote said is black ship after black ship. But we trust carries bright treasures. We confess it's hard to see the bright treasures. Show us from Psalm 90 the bright treasures. Minister to every person in the hearing of my voice by the power of your word such that I become invisible and inaudible and forgotten and insignificant, and you stand forth from your word with stunning, attention-arresting power and glory so that you might be supremely cherished and prized and the people of God might be strengthened and helped and hope filled with hope and enjoying of your goodness in Christ's precious name I pray all these things amen happy new year to you all next year we we take our next year <laughs> next week we take on the book of Revelation, and we will dive into Revelation chapter 12 with all our might. It's my aim in this message that you would see this beautiful flow that Moses has written in these 17 verses. He has, he has shown us how to relate to God when you come to him so broken and in troubled times. We're in troubled times right now. You see the war raging. I just got Word from Rick Perhai, who's living with his wife, Marilyn over in Kiev, Ukraine, that they heard sirens and that they heard explosions. Yet their power remains on, thank the Lord. And there's trouble in Nigeria and there's trouble in the United States and there's maybe trouble in some quadrants of our community or your family or trouble in politics or in social structures. There's trouble wherever we look. It's not more now than it's ever been before, but it's very real and very painful and very urgent. Our hearts are troubled. Maybe as you look out over your family or you look out over your own spiritual life in 2022, your heart is also troubled. Maybe some of that trouble has been hard and painful things that have been done to you, but maybe some of it's from inside. You know that even if things are going well on the outside, still what's troubling us on the inside, our regrets, our fears, our guilt, our shame, is far more troubling to us than anything that happens outside of us. Moses was troubled when he wrote this. Almost every Jewish and Christian scholar says that when Moses was writing Psalm 90, It was right around the time of Numbers chapter 20. Do you remember what happens in Numbers chapter 20? In the span of one chapter, Moses loses his sister, Miriam. She dies. So he's grieving the loss of his sister, whom he clearly loved very much. And then at the end of the chapter, he loses his brother, Aaron. He also dies. Moses is grieving Miriam and Aaron's loss. And if that weren't painful and broken enough, Moses, in his own weakness and sin, struck the rock against God's command. And God said, I will not allow you to enter into the promised land because of your unbelief. That all happened in Numbers chapter 20. And out of Numbers chapter 20, Moses writes Psalm 90. What causes a a person, a sinner like Moses, he's dealing with the grief of tremendous loss. You and I have losses we're dealing with as well, don't we? This time of year we think of them maybe most painfully. And he's dealing with what felt like a failure before God. God, I was your man and I thought I was doing right, but I was in the wrong and I can see how I did wrong And you've forgiven me, but there are consequences, and so I'm dealing with the pain and the shame of that. Have you ever seen how such a person takes all that pain and brings it to God, as Moses does in Psalm 90? Usually what we do is we run away with it. We go hide with it. We just go run away. We just say, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to put words to it. I don't want to pray about it. I don't want to bring it to God. What happens in the transformation of a heart like Moses, and maybe like yours, where pain doesn't push you away from God, but propels you toward God in prayer? Moses brings grace-desperate, truth-telling, blood-earnest prayer to the Lord in Psalm 90, and he does it in a way that not only serves as an example for us, but much more deeply than just an example. He actually prays in a powerful way the gospel for us to see and enjoy for ourselves right now today. Maybe you feel like Moses. Maybe you feel like you're enduring loss. And maybe some of the loss that you don't care to talk very much about is loss owing to your own wrongdoing. And you too have been tempted to run away from God with your pain. And here, the invitation of the Holy Spirit to you right now is to take your pain right to the Lord and join Moses and pray Psalm 90 for yourself. I want you to see in Psalm 90 that what Moses prays is actually the gospel. Do you see the title of the psalm? A prayer of Moses, the man of God. That phrase, the man of God, most commonly means in the Old Testament, someone so close to God that they can intercede for sinners. The man of God, Moses, is someone so close to God that he can intercede for sinners for sinners and that's exactly what Moses does in Psalm 90. He intercedes for sinners. He intercedes for Israel, yes, but he intercedes for himself also and he intercedes for all those who would trust in God by faith in Jesus Christ as we will see. There are three movements. First there's verses 1 and 2. That's where Moses reestablishes the boldness of his faith. He says, "God, you've been our home forever." You've been our home forever. Movement number two begins with the word return in verse three, very important. And then he, he speaks from verses three through verse 11 about how short life is and how, and how brief it is because of God's wrath on all of us. We all die. That's the return to dust of section number two. And finally, there's section number three also begins with the word return. It shows up in verses 13 through 17, and it's a prayer for God to return His sweet grace and His mercy and love and His joy back upon Moses and back upon the people of Israel. Let's look at those three movements. You'll see the gospel unfolding before your eyes. Verses 1 and 2, God has been our home forever. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is Moses saying, we have been with you, God, before creation. Before Before we existed and were a thing, we were with you. You are our home, our, our refuge, our protection. That's the way the Bible talks about God's people. It isn't just that we are awaiting to be with God. That's true physically. But spiritually, we've been with him all the way along. Boggles the mind. That's the promise of verses 1 and 2. Hebrews thirteen fourteen says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus Christ brings us to, the, to be at home with the Lord. Paul says if we're absent from this body, we're at home with the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. This stunning fact reminds us that God has been faithful to his beloved people from before time, during time, and for eternity after time. This is how Moses begins when his heart is broken. He's lost his brother. He's lost his sister. He feels like he's failed God himself. He goes back to rock-solid, unwavering, precious, sweet Sunday school truth. He goes back to sound doctrine He goes back and he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. Is that how you talk to yourself and to the Lord when your heart is broken and you feel like a failure and there are death on your left hand and on your right? Do you go back to God and say, God, you've been my dwelling place? That's the way to begin your prayer right now. Maybe the beginning of your 2023 is, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. It's certainly true as a church. It's certainly true for Kath and me and, and our Ben and his Maddie and our Ruthie. It's, it's been our, God has been our dwelling place no matter where we've lived. God has been our dwelling place no matter who has supported or encouraged us, no matter who has opposed us. God has been our dwelling place. We were dwelling with him from before the beginning of time and before creation. We will dwell with him as we trust in him forever. May that be true for you. All those who can say the Lord is my dwelling place are welcome to the Lord's table in just a few moments. But then Moses, in a truth-telling, bracing shift, introduces the word "return." It's a key word. Shows up twice in this psalm. It shows the movements. You have to see the word "return." It's the word "shuv" in Hebrew. But notice how clear it is at the beginning of verse three: "You return, man to dust." and say, return, O children of man. The word return is emphasized because it's the main shift in Moses' mind. Moses knows that even though we've had God as our home and dwelling place, still God is the one who makes life brief. He makes life so temporary and so brief He's the one who's ordaining and permitting the wars and the pandemics and the sickness so that death occurs not just to unbelievers, but to believers as well. For a thousand years in your sight is, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, verse 4 says. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, and as renewed in the evening it fades and withers." life is brief and it sweeps away quickly. Death occurs. It's occurring in war-torn nations right now. It's occurring maybe in in this city. Maybe it's occurring to someone you know. Maybe it's going to occur to you or to me. We don't have the rest of today guaranteed or the rest of 2023. But why death? Why is life so very brief? Why are we like grass that flourishes and then dies. It's because of God's wrath, and Moses is honest and open and bracing about this. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh, says verse 9. Verse 10, the years of our life, are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we all fly away. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Surely Moses remembered what it looked like to bury an entire generation of Israelites in the Sinai desert. The ones God said, you're not going into the promised land because you wanted to go back to Egypt and you doubted me. So an entire generation, Moses buried bones in the desert. Surely he knows what death looks like in the laying down of Miriam and of Aaron. Surely he knows that it's not just owing, here here, here would be the crisis for him, right? It's not just owing to my sin, God, that death is on the earth. I'm not guilty for everyone else's sin death. No, it's the collective, it's the broad universal sweep of sin on the earth. Sin is a category worth preserving in our sound doctrine and worth talking about in our culture. Sin is the foundational issue that everybody has to deal with. God looks upon the sins of the world and it's utterly shocking that he doesn't wipe us out even as we are. The man-centered person says, It's all about me. It must be my shame and my guilt. That's why all these bad things are happening to me and my family. It's all about me. And the second that false doctrine settles in, it's all about me. It's just my sin. There's an emotional tailspin that gets underway, and it's almost impossible to recover from it except by sweet, miraculous grace. But the sound doctrine says, no, it's us. It's sin on Adam's offspring. Sin across the face of the earth. That's why death occurs. Yet God is up to deeper things than just punishing sin, as we will see. Look at how this section ends. Verse 12. In verse 12, Moses has a shift. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom they don't have a heart of wisdom. We made wrong choices. We lacked wisdom, and it wasn't in our hearts. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That does not mean that you get out a calendar and say, I think I'm going to die probably 2040 or so. That's not what it means. Nor does it mean just count your birthdays. That's not what it means either. Teach us to number our days is Moses' way of confessing the people of Israel wanted to go back to the calendar and the numbering of Egypt, and that was sin. Lord, we will number our days as you number our days. You are sovereign. We will submit ourselves to you, O God. Birthdays are an evidence of your sustaining mercy, kindness, and grace to us. We will number our days according to your numbering. And we will humble ourselves, fear you, and therefore gain a heart of wisdom. And of course, the wisdom that Moses has in mind points us forward to a kind of quest for wisdom. What is that wisdom? What is a heart of wisdom? What's that like? What does it mean? And we'll see before we're coming to the Lord's table exactly what that wisdom is. Essentially, this verse 12 is the turning point of the psalm where Moses calls for repentance. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How do I understand it as repentance? Well, Peter, the apostle Peter, centuries later, draws on Psalm 90 when he calls for repentance. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with one with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day, directly quoting Psalm 90. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So when I see Moses saying, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He is saying what Peter is later saying, that there's a call here to repentance. God permits over a long period of time, thousands of years, just days to him, the unfolding of the world, even in its sorrow and its loss and in its violence and in its war and pain. Why? So that in his patience, he would offer opportunity for repentance and to find mercy. What's shocking is that the earth keeps spinning into 2023, and boom, there it was, the beautiful sun shining in the snow-covered trees again. That's what's shocking. What do you know? Another day. Maybe even more than one more day. Why? So that in January 1st or 2nd or all of 2023, the people of the earth might repent of sin against their God. This isn't invented by Peter. This was told him by the Spirit as it was told Moses. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We repent, God, because we're all going to die and we all die because of your right wrath against sin Therefore, teach us the way of salvation, the wisdom unto salvation. That's the hard word. God's wrath is right and just on the sins of the earth. But in his wrath, he always mingles mercy. His patience, his long-suffering, is meant to bring us low. His granting of another day is a call to repent. And then in boldness, oh, the confidence and boldness Moses has to pray this. He says, return again. See the second, this third section? It begins the same way the second one did, with return. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Have mercy on your servants. Return, O Lord. Can you imagine telling God to turn back? Change your course, God. One, one of the literal translations of Natan, the Hebrew word behind return, is relent. First Samuel says twice, change your mind. Oh, the boldness it takes to ask God to do this. Because God doesn't lack information. He doesn't lack the knowledge of our heart's desires. He doesn't lack some new awareness of a situation. He doesn't have to enlarge his perspective. He doesn't have to grow his capacity to understand how badly we want him to return. Moses didn't need to put an exclamation mark behind, oh Lord, just so that God would go, oh, now I'm getting you. No, no, no. For Samuel again tells us of this exact word, Natan, the Lord does not change his mind for the glory of Israel, does not change his mind for he is not a man. Ponder the possibility and, in fact, my belief that when God returns in answer to Moses' prayer, it's because before the foundation of the world, God planned to return. There's your God. There's your God. You and I don't ask for him to come back to us with mercy because it's a new agenda point that we want to put on his plan. It's because he ordained to do so from before the foundations of the world. Now look at what he asked God to do. Remember how we started the psalm. You have been our dwelling place for all generations. Now he describes exactly what it's like to be home with God, to live in his dwelling place and to be at peace with him. Look at this. Enjoy this. Take this for yourself. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Oh, good morning. Can I satisfy you with some steadfast love? How did you sleep last night? I can't wait to satisfy you with my steadfast love, says the Lord. Why? That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I don't want you to just be rejoicing and glad today. I want you to rejoice and be glad in my dwelling place forever, your home. Every human being you know is wired for this. You don't talk to anybody who hates this. Atheists, agnostics, every other religion that exists, Christians who are faking it, everybody you talk to wants this and just doesn't believe it's true or real or possible look what Moses asked God to do in verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen evil. Heal us, Lord. Heal all the pain. Heal all the bones in the Sinai desert. Heal my loss of Miriam and Aaron. Heal, even heal that horrible thing I did when I struck the rock and shouldn't have even redeem, Lord, my not going all the way into the promised land when that was the very hope I had in leading your people out of Egypt. And then just like a healthy home, Moses prays, let your work, God, be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. We want to see you, God. We want to see your glory and your power, and I want my kids to see it and their kids to see it. What a beautiful picture of home this is. And it gets even sweeter. Look at verse 17. This is the apex. This is breathtakingly beautiful, sweeter than I can describe. No words capture. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish. The work of our hands. We have so much we want to do, Lord, but we don't want to do it in our own strength and have it falter and fail. We want you to establish the work of our hands when you show forth your sweet grace. Why did I change favor to sweet grace? The Hebrew word behind favor is naam, naam, from which we get the woman's name Naomi. Naomi means pleasant grace from God or sweet grace from God. Let the sweet grace of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands, whether it's dollars or diapers, whether it's reports or receipts, Let the work of our hands in 2023 be established by the sweet Naomi grace of God upon us. That's what it's like to be home with the Lord. That's why Moses says, Lord, return to us and take us home to be with yourself. Return to us. Adopt us. Take us into your family. Have pity on us. Satisfy us in the morning with steadfast love. Make us glad all our days. Heal us for the years that we've been afflicted and seen evil, and lavish your sweet grace, your Naomi grace upon us. That's what it's like for God to return. He's essentially calling for a revival among the church where we come into the presence of the Lord and we say, Lord, lavish again on us. You lavished it on us once, do it again. By the same grace that you created the world and and made all these beautiful things that we can enjoy Do that for our souls. It's exactly how Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. God said, let light shine out of darkness. And I'm going to create all the beautiful, wonderful things in the created order. That God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Create in the dark chaos of my 2022 the bright light of the knowledge of the glory of your face in Jesus Christ. Take the brokenness of my losing my sister and my brother and my failing you in my ministry and the death that I have left behind me, the trail of death between Egypt and where I stand on Mount Nebo. Take it all. And lavish it with your sweet Naomi grace, and establish the work of my hands, O oh God. The life of living with God in His home always is a precious life. It's like adopted children who are loved, chosen, given a new name, given an inheritance, given a place, a welcome. Satisfied with God's love, made glad forever, healed, healed of their wound. Shown God's glorious power, called children, and sweetest of all, under the pleasant favor, the Naomi grace of the Lord our God, establishing the work of our hands. Did God do this for Moses? Is this really nice religious prayer that you can end your Sunday morning sermon on? Right there, end of the psalm? I mean, is it dangerous to say, did God do this for Moses? Moses came to Mount Nebo, and Deuteronomy 34 1 through 4 says, God brought him up to it and said, Here it is, but you can't go there. And Moses died and he was buried. Did God? Fulfill Psalm 90 and the prayer Moses prayed for him? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus stands in front of James and Peter and John on a mountain. And his normal first century appearance is changed, and all of a sudden he has this transfigured appearance where his glory is piercing through his humanity. And he is transfigured into bright light, white light even. And standing next to him is Elijah and Moses. And Luke says they're talking together. You wonder what they're talking about. God has... Answers for Moses that are infinitely sweeter than putting his feet onto Canaanite soil. God drew Moses, man of God, to himself and blessed Moses with a vision of his glory in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, with whom he was enjoying fellowship forever and ever, far outstripping anything he could have enjoyed in Canaan. Never doubt the power of God to keep his promises to you. No matter how little seems to happen now, believe in him, trust in him, take him at his word. Be convinced with all your might that even after your death, God might see and use you and establish the work of your hands beyond what you could ask or imagine. Now, I have just moments before we're coming to the Lord's table, and I can't wait to tell you something I just discovered about a hero of mine. Have you ever heard of the name C.T. Studd, Charles Studd? Kind of a cool name. Not sure I would have wanted it. Charles Studd lived in England in the 1840s. He was a cricket player, the best one in England. He and his brothers tore up cricket at the college level, and he was, be- he was very wealthy and very famous because he was the most famous cricket player, which was like Major League Baseball at the time, very, very fa- wealthy and famous guy. Evangelist came to his community in England, and he and his brothers were saved resoundly. Some years later, he felt like he was falling back in his confession of faith in Christ and becoming so overwhelmed and enamored with the money and the travel and the wealth that he was gaining and the fame that he was gaining as a, as a top-level cricket player. D.L. Moody sailed from the U.S. over to England and toured around preaching in England, and D.L. Moody called all the people who would come and hear him, not just to faith in Christ, but to dedicate their lives to Christ and go wherever the Spirit calls him to go. And he said, maybe the Lord is calling some of you to China tonight, and in fact, C.T. Studd, Charles Studd, knew he was among those being called to China. He made a meeting with Hudson Taylor, another hero of mine, joined Hudson Taylor's mission in 1857 and traveled to China. He let his hair grow long, he dyed it black, he wore the cloak of the Chinese along with Hudson Taylor, and he went up into the interior through river sailing, and he began to win the Chinese to Christ. Not only did C.T. Studd, after he married his wife Priscilla, not only did they minister all through China, but then they were burdened through various circumstances to minister the gospel in India, and many came to Christ in India, and they ultimately spent the last years of their life as a married couple with some of their grown children in Africa, and they shared the gospel, and many were converted there. C.T. Studd wrote this famous poem, the the refrain of which you will recognize, it's one I love, I've shared with with it. shared it with you before, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Look up that poem, it's well worth reading, the whole thing, fantastic. It was in the late 1800s, 1898, 99, 1900, through the 19-teens, 1912, 1913, 1914, that Priscilla and Charles Studd were so effective in sharing the gospel. They would plant churches and entire communities would come to Christ. That happened in China, in the interior. It happened in India and different provinces, and it happened in Africa. That was new for me. And then the stunning thing that hit me, I can't wait to tell you, is that 100 years later, 1999, 2000, 2001 and 2, all the way up to 2013, these different villages, churches, and communities are all having happy times of celebration for the centennial of having been planted as a Christian church or Christian community. Thank you, Lord, for C.T. Studd. He's long dead when God has established the work of his hands. C.T. Studd, in writing... Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, says he was meditating on Psalm 90, 4 through 6. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. I wonder what they're going to talk about you and me a hundred years from now. Let's pray. We trust, O God, that you will establish the work of our hands in 2023. We trust, O God, that you will teach us to pray Psalm 90 for ourselves, not just as an interesting picture of Moses, but as our own psalm. During the prayer events of the evenings of this first prayer week, uh, this first week of 2023 when we are gathering for prayer, would you let Psalm 90 be the script for many people's prayers? You taught Moses to pray the gospel, and you're teaching us to pray the gospel through this psalm. We've been with you. You're our home forever, but life is short because sin is real and your wrath is real. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and live in the pleasant joys of your household forever. Like the prodigal son that came back and The Father ran to welcome him, so many in this room, Lord, you welcome back to yourself. Returning home, returning home. Bless now our taking of the Lord's Supper. These elements represent your son's body and blood. It's the cost of his life, his body and blood, that was paid for our returning home. The removal of condemnation and your judgment of wrath against us for eternity. Thank you for it. Thank you for the celebration of it. Meet us as we feast at this table now through Christ, I pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders to come up and to join me as we distribute the Lord's elements,